Really excited to be joined by Jim Nagy. Uh, he is the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Uh, he's been at it a couple years now. I want to ask him about the ways he's tried to transform the Senior Bowl for the better. Ask him about how the virus has disrupted uh, everything with the draft process right now. How he sees that changing this year. And then also his rich history uh, in scouting. 18 years in the NFL under Bill Belichick. Um, you know, Pete Carroll, among others, uh, obviously spent some time in Green Bay as well. So a guy with a ton of experience and doing a great job in Mobile. Welcoming to the Greenlight Pod right now is somebody I'm really excited about joining us. Somebody I follow on Twitter. He's a great follow. Uh, he's also the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, uh, or Reese's, depending on how you say that. Jim Nagy. Uh, Jim, how do you say Reese's? Do you say Reese's or Reese's? Or Reese's? It's, uh, it's Reese's. It's Reese's because it's not, the way it was explained to me from, from the people at uh, Hershey was it's not Reese's Pieces. It's Reese's Pieces. So, oh, well, that's, that's, that's how I remember it. And that's, a, that's an organic way to start the interview because I had not uh, crossed that bridge yet. Um, so, and I've been, I love the candy, by the way. Uh, but, but Jim is certainly uh, not just, I mean, people might know him as being the executive director down in Mobile of a game that's been going on over 70 years now, but uh jim did his time 18 years jim you did in the nfl uh scouting six super bowl appearances four times a champion uh you scouted with the packers the the pats the the seahawks and now you're down in mobile uh so i i want to cut right to it and we can get into the bigger picture stuff but uh you know right now is a unique time it's kind of unprecedented as as it relates to the draft and the process for these athletes who you know very well. What do you think is the biggest impediment for kids right now? I mean, there's a ton of them, but is it just this? Is, is it the pro days? Yeah, Chris, that's it's a great question, and it is. It's uh, it's all the guys that haven't had a pro day yet, and especially the small school guys. So, uh, talking to talking to my buddies around the league, I mean, they've got almost uh, almost half the board. Um, they don't have workout numbers on right now, which is, which is a big deal. You know, the haze in the barn. And, and again, I think that uh, smart teams, you know, will always go back to the tape from the fall and focus on what a guy does in pads on a football field. Um, but when you're making these million dollar decisions, um, you know, all these teams want to have as much information as possible. So, you know, having all this workout data that's not, uh, you know, in the system, it's difficult for these guys, you know, they're, they're used to having all that at their disposal. They don't have it this year. Uh, they're trying to work around ways to get it right now. Um, but, but especially the small school guys, Chris, you know, it's one thing when you're coming from a power five or, or even if you were a small school guy that came to the senior bowl or, or got a combine invite, you know, you, you, you basically laid everything out. Well, there's a lot of small school guys that really need pro day uh, because their tape is, you know, their tape's good enough to get them on a radar uh, but because of the level of competition, the NFL is always going to want to see how they stack up, you know, in terms of physical traits with the rest of the league. And, 
And so that's why when you get guys popping a 40-inch vertical jump or you know, running 4-3 on a pro day, that's when they go from being a priority free agent to maybe a team taking a stab in the sixth or seventh round. So, so uh, yeah, those are definitely the guys. Those guys are being most impacted. Is there a position group that gets impacted the most by the absence of a, of a pro day from your experience? You know, I would – I would say corner and wide out because those are two really speed-based positions where, you know, you, you're going to get rawness, you know, at a smaller school level, you're going to get, you're going to get a more of a raw prospect. So you're really looking to hit on the upside of the trade. And again, I think, I think wide out and corner would, would probably be the two just because of the speed element. Would you say those are, that's the, the, the biggest drop off from like uh, your top tier schools to your smaller schools would be those skill guys? No, I, I would say I'd say there, Chris, it's the offensive line. Really? Um, yeah, because offensive line's hard enough to find. I mean, <laughs> you know, some of the teams you played on. I mean, it's hard for NFL teams to find quality offensive linemen. So as that trickles down from you know Power Five to Group of Five to FCS to Division Two, I mean, it's it really gets thinned out. So um, yeah, I would say the the further you go down the chain, the offensive line play is, is where you notice the biggest discrepancy. Well, I, I know you got a lot of buddies in the league, so I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'll do it anyways. Uh, you <laughs> say the, the cream will rise to the top, essentially, as far as the scouting departments and, and that sort of thing go. And I, I think it makes sense. You might also learn a bit about what you what you actually need and don't need in your first year with the absence of all these numbers. I don't know, but... Who's who's a scouting department that you're like, yeah, they'll get it right. You know, Chris, that's a good question. There's a lot of them, man. There's, and I'm not just saying that. You know, for the most part, all these all these teams are well stocked. So, I mean, I'm real biased with uh, coming from the Seahawks and, and working under John Schneider and that group. I mean, I think they do an awesome job. Uh, Green Bay's done a great job forever. Um, Brian Gudikins is a the guy, their GM that. He and I came up in the system. I've got a lot of respect for Chris Ballard and the work he's doing in, in oh, he's uh, doing Indianapolis. a terrific job. Terrific. Yeah, so I mean, you can you can really go down the line. Um, you know, the Chiefs have done a really nice job with Andy Reid putting pieces around Coach Reid's crew. So uh, I think Jeff Ireland and what they've done in New Orleans the last couple of years in their draft. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's just a handful. But man, there's so many good guys doing what they do. And again, I really do think that this is an opportunity for those teams that that really crank it out and and you know put the time in in the fall are are going to reap the benefits. But I will say this, Chris, where where you're seeing a little where you're going to see the biggest change um, with these small school guys is this is a huge time of the year where recruiting actually plays a plays a role. Right. Um, you know, when you're in scouting and you're on an airplane, you're on a random Delta flight across the country, and you pull out your laptop and you're watching tape you know, someone inevitably asks you, are you a recruiter? And, you know, you always, you know, sometimes you'll make the differentiation. No, I'm actually a scout, you right. know, basically just an evaluator. I don't, we don't recruit, but this is a huge time of the year for scouts to be out on the road and really focused on those late round priority free agent guys that, you know, you really think have a chance of making your football team. And if you were the scout, if you as a scout were making the picks, you might draft them, your GM might not. Um, but you're really recruiting these guys, man. You're going to pro day. You're you're going in a day early to take them to lunch, or you're staying after you know the pro day and, and taking them out to eat, and really really recruiting them up. So when that chaos happens after the draft, um, and I don't know if you 
if you followed like what happens after the, the last pick of the draft. Oh, for sure. Sanity. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and yeah, I, I was going to ask you, I, cause like you bring that up, you, you talk about those guys after the draft, they have a little bit more uh, autonomy, right? A lot more autonomy. Um, is it, do you always feel bad for like the Mr. Relevant guy? Cause he was so close to having a choice in where he ends up. <laughs> yeah. He's so close to determining his own fate. No, I, I kind of do. And that's uh and I, and I do say that to a lot of players because I, I, you never want to string them along through the process. Like, I never really recruited guys hard if I didn't think they could that, – that I, that I would draft them or they could get drafted or they could make a 53. I think uh, players have way too much smoke, you know, blowing up their tails, you know, through, through this process by, by anyone. You know, I'm not going to point the finger, but family members, that, you know, agents sometimes. Um, you know, I always try to shoot those guys straight. And I, I, I would tell them it's sometimes it's almost better to go undrafted. I know that, you know, it's a little hit to your ego. Every kid grows up wanting to be an NFL draft pick, but it is almost better to slide all the way through. So you can kind of, you know, check out all those depth charts and see where you have your best place to uh, make a 53. Cause I think, I think that, that that's an interesting point. Um, and it's something I've always observed. I mean, it's definitely an ego hit not to be drafted, but would you rather be the undrafted guy who hits on that big first, uh, second contract? Uh, because the conditions no were correct for you to be uh, successful. Is there one position that you look at besides quarterback? We'll take quarterback out of it because I, I feel like the context with which you suit up, the coaching staff, the scheme, the team around you is going to dominate, uh, you know, the likelihood of, of you excelling. Are there position groups that you're like, you know, that, that need a little bit more of the perfect situation? Are there some position groups that should be, you know, no matter what dysfunctional organization you end up in, because there are a lot of them, you'll excel. Does it matter position to position? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I think, uh, I think running backs can, you know, good running backs run it, you know, they, mm -hmm. they, they can see it and they can hit it and, and good running backs. Usually, you know, the cream rises to the top there. I think if, if you've got a knack for getting after the quarterback, you know, whether you're a three, four outside linebacker or a defensive end or an inside guy, if you, if you, if you know how to rush, I think that can translate. And like to what you were talking about is undrafted guys. I think your your best chances of hitting are, are at wide receiver. Yeah. Um, because a lot of guys that get drafted as receivers are all used to being the guy in college. They were, you know, most of them were the number one guy. They were the primary target. They didn't have to play a lot of special teams. So when they get to the NFL, that again we're talking yeah, ego. That's, that's a, a little bit deal. of an ego hit when you go. Yeah, when you go from being the being the go-to guy to having to run down as a you know L five on kickoff or a gunner. You know, a lot of guys don't want to do that and. And that's why when you get those undrafted guys that are really hungry and they don't, you know, they don't care. They just want to, they just want to make a team. That's where, that's how you make the team. Right. And that's how you dress on Sundays. And then that buys those guys time to develop as a wide out. So right. that's like, that's their track. Whereas you see a lot of good receivers come into the league that should be, you know, have upside is to be third and fourth receivers and be good long-term pros. They just flame out pretty quickly because they never embrace that special team. Yeah, far. you can't think like a, a number one. You might have been a number one at uh, I don't know. I'm just gonna like does Coppin State have a team? <laughs> no, no, they don't. Okay, but, like, you can't you can't be a number one at Coppin State, which you literally can't <laughs> be a number one at Coppin fucking State. But you can be in. You can't be a small school number one. And then coming to the league, uh, you know, expecting to just catch fade routes, it's much different. You have to be hungry. You have to tackle. You have to block. 
because to your point, you're going to be thrown into the fire. What about free agency? You spent 18 years doing this. Um, I, I assume, you know, most of it uh, was dealing with college players. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the college side all 18 years. We, you know, we, we try to do some crossover stuff with pro throughout the year and, and, you know, during cut down days and in August and things like that, but was never full-time pro. So, so you, but talking to your buddies that are in it right now, dealing with free agency, I mean, it's gotta be a little bit different. I mean, first off there was the entire, Hey, do we push free agency back? Do we not the optics? Um, where did you stand on that whole thing? And then also, you know, once free agency kicks off here tomorrow, um, you know, Wednesday, uh, what changes? Because I think some people are like, yeah, you can get it all done on FaceTime on the phone. Like, how do you do medical evaluations? How do you get players in for visits? I mean, there's, there's a ton of unknowns with, uh, with coronavirus that I think this is going to be just as unique as the draft process, maybe even more so. Yeah. And, and even up until a couple of days ago, Chris, talking to, talking to friends around the league, they, there was a, you know, the prevailing feeling was that this thing was going to get pushed back. You know, the guys all thought they were going to have a little more time. And like you mentioned, because of, you know, because of the optics of it all, but um, I'm actually glad that, that they pushed that just personally, because it, you know, I think, you know, as much, as much as you hate to say it, I, I'm not trying to draw parallels to 9-11 whatsoever, you know, but we, we do, we do need a diversion from this. You know, I think, uh, you know, it's, it, it's not the same thing, but I'm just going back to 9-11. That's the last time we on. felt this insecure. I mean, that's just like, that's just calling it what it is. I think, you know, as Americans, we're very lucky. We don't have to deal with um, a lot of situations where you don't feel secure. And I was sitting down talking to my parents at dinner last night. It was like, the last time it felt this eerie was, you know, at that, at that moment. And I remember I was playing high school football. We took a week off uh, and then we got back to it. And it was a distraction, a diversion. And I always say like, you know, generally people want, you know, they, they, they always refer to football and sports as their great distraction uh, in the midst of politics and all that stuff, which I always like to push back on. I think they can exist together. We don't need to go down that road. But uh, now, you know, to say that, hey, seeing free agency contracts being uh, signed coming across the ticker in the bottom is just too much in this situation football is still a distraction. I mean, this is, I think for every person that's going to be put off by it, you're going to have three people that are going to be excited to see something that doesn't have to do with a pandemic. Right. Right. I, I'm with you there. Uh, totally with you there. But, but yeah, so the league that there are, there are some obstacles. I think that what you're seeing right now with some of these, uh, this early, you know, the non tampering period, whatever they call it. Um, you know, a lot of these deals are being announced and they're, they're mostly for the, you know, the bigger name guys. So we, the league anticipated that happen and where it's going to affect guys similar, similarly to the draft where, um, you know, this whole draft process is, is going to affect more of those non-combine smaller school guys. This is going to affect more of that, you know, that down the line, you know, tier two, tier three, free agent who teams are going to want a medical on and they don't know as much about, um, they don't have maybe as long a track record in the league because, you know, what a, a lot of what pro scouts do you know, college scouts are on the road all fall gathering information at schools from their sources, you know, on college staffs. Well, the pro scouts are just calling their buddies around the league. It's such a tight network of friends. I mean, you know, when you were, when you were leaving teams, I mean, all the pro departments were just calling around to, to check up on you and, right. you know, what kind of teammate you were and your work ethic. And so that's all going on right now too. But outside of that, 
you know, you still want to get in front of people. This is still a people business. It's still, you know, you still want to have those, you know, that one-on-one contact before you enter into something long-term. So yeah, that's, it's, I mean, I, I think you're going to have this little, this little run right now where a, a lot of the big guys are getting signed up and then there might be a really big lull um, in, until, until teams can actually get with some of these players. And yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how that times up with the draft. I'm going to work for, kind of fill, try to fill needs in free agency and then you know you try to hit you try to approach the draft taking the best players available that's you know that's the goal you know when, when need and best player marry up that's that's perfect scenario but if, if teams are able to fill less holes um in free agency you might see more teams really kind of kind of reaching at certain positions because of need this year right yeah it's a total crapshoot uh before we get to the Senior Bowl specifically this year. What have you heard about the combine? Because that was a big difference in the time slotting. Were the reviews good from your peers, or uh, were they not so great? I know players were kind of. Uh, it was a mixed bag, to say the least. Yeah, from a player's perspective, just talking to some agents, you know, some they weren't very happy about it. No, I mean, they weren't. <laughs> especially the third, the third group of hey, Chris. I mean. Those guys are out there doing short shuttles and three cones at eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. That's not that's that's not optimum for anybody, you know. And as, yeah. as much as work these as these kids put into this process to to be out there that late at night, I didn't think that was very cool. Um, from the league standpoint, there was only really one day that 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 got to people in the league, and it was the day where um, it was the last day of weigh-ins. So weigh-ins started at seven a.m. And then, you know, the, the team reps left weigh-ins. They went up and they started interviewing players. And that, that coincided with the first day of workouts. So, you know, the league personnel, they weren't the team. The team guys weren't, were there from 7 a.m. till after 11 o'clock at night at the stadium, which, uh, which, which chaps some guys. That's but, a normal work um, day overall, for those guys. Those guys are sadistic. <laughs> What's, they, they, they are, but at least they get a workout in in the middle of the day. Yeah, they do. They, uh, do. they do. They do. They could. They couldn't do. They couldn't do that. So that was really it. I thought there would be a, a little more negativity from the from the team standpoint. I think they were they were. Uh, it came off a little better than I than I thought it would for, from that perspective. So getting to the game this year, uh, you know, biggest risers and fallers among linemen. Let's just talk trenches. I know for a fact. Actually, let's start with this because I saw you tweet about it the other day. You really like the Kinlaw kid. I really like the Kinlaw kid. I actually think he might have a little bit more upside than Brown. I don't know what you can say or what you can't say about that, but uh, but I, I really like him. How high do you see him going? You said he's probably gone by thirteen. Yeah, I I, I really like Javon Kinlaw. Uh, I'm with you, Derek Brown. To me, and I've said this through the fall, Derek Brown right now is is a more ready player. He's he's more polished player right now. But in three or four years, I think Javon Kinlaw is, has the higher ceiling. I think they're both Pro Bowl level players. Um, what Derek Brown did in the SEC this year in that conference and being as disruptive as he was game in and game out was uh, was really impressive. You know, like I haven't seen I haven't seen a big man disrupt like that probably since Sue yeah. and uh, and Dominican Sue. And, and to me, the difference was like Derek played hard all the time, every game. You don't have to, you know, you get in draft meetings and your GM's going to say, okay, you know, Jim, what tape do we want to watch on this guy? And you usually got to have your ducks in a row on, okay, this was his best game and this was another good game. Um, but with Derek Brown this year, Chris, it was like, just throw on a tape. Yeah. He was the same guy all the time. He played his butt off and, and he's a great player. Um, but Kinlaw, 
he's just scratching the surface, man. Like he, you know, he had a child in the off season that can usually, that can, a guy can go one of two ways. It can throw him for a loop and they can really, you know, get thrown off kilter by it or it can hone him in and focus them. And that's what it did with Javon. He, you know, he lost 25 pounds in the off season. He's just so big. When you get up on this dude, he's such a big human being. He's so long. He's so, he's so long. He's so explosive. And it's hard for long guys to be that explosive. And and he is. And he had two days down in Mobile. He had some quad tendonitis flare up on him um, after the second practice. But, man, he was he, – he showed what he needed to show. Well, I when mean, I – Again, so, and you know this better than anyone. Everyone gets enamored with, with the edge rushers because it looks pretty coming off the edge. But – the harder guys to find and the more valuable guy from a league's perspective is that interior guy that can rush the passer and, and, you know, just get guys off the spot and, and just really create havoc in the pocket. And that's what Javon is. So, you know, I, I can't imagine he lasts outside the top 10. Yeah. And, and I remember initially he was kind of thought of as more further down the board. Um, I think people are waking up on that. He, you know, as a as comps go, because everybody loves the comp thing. Do you hate the comp thing, or do you like the comp thing? Is it a necessary evil? I hate it. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, do it. something um, you hate here for me and give me a comp <laughs> for Kinlaw, because because he's twitchy like it, like tall twitchy guys. To your point, there's not a lot. I never want to do like, hey, listen, I've read Chris Jones. I think, you know, you could, from a body type, I mean, being a higher, you know, a higher hip guy, it seems like a guy who, who also, though, can, can kind of flash off the tape in his first step. I mean, I play with Fletcher Cox, um, you know, and, and then with, um, with, with Derek Brown, I've heard, okay, I heard Sue, which you brought up, Sue. I've heard Chris Jenkins. Uh, I don't know. D- take a stab at doing something you hate here for me. <laughs> The, re- the reason I hate it, Chris, it's, it's a media thing, and I get why it's a media thing, because it helps people, you know, kind of visualize. In the league, you're not going to make that comp unless everything lines up, right? Like, mm-hmm. like body type, testing numbers, play style, it all has to jive. Yeah. So that's why, that's why I hate it. But <laughs> well, I, 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 hate really it be, I hate it because I've been, I've been, I was comp to every white defensive end coming out of college for a solid decade there. So, <laughs> but you like the Chris Jones comp, okay? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're Kyle Vandenbosch, right? <laughs> yeah, I was Kyle Vandenbosch. Uh, I was uh, Aaron Campman. And to be honest, we all kind of had similar careers pr- productivity-wise. So I don't know why. They, they, it looks like the Bosa kids are going to have about 100 sacks, though. So they, they've shed that label of being uh, any of us older <laughs> white DNs. Uh, but, but, yeah, you like, you like Chris Jones a little bit? Yeah, yeah, they're similar, um, you know, because they're long. They got heavy hands. Um, yeah. And they're and explosive. Fletcher Cox is another one. It's just it's hard to find those. Um, you know, that six, five body type plus that's really explosive. I mean, when I was my time in new England, we had Richard Seymour, you know, and he's a hall of fame player. So, um, but those don't come around very often. Usually those body types are more first and second down players. And, and that's why Kinlaw is different because Kinlaw, um, what he's going to be able to do when he learns how, when he really learns how to rush, uh, what he's going to be able to do in third down is going to be awesome. So the offensive line, that could go in any direction. I've seen people projecting the Georgia kid go first, the Becton kid go first. People like the Alabama kid. Obviously, the Iowa kid looked like a dancing bear at the combine, but it's just the combine, right? Um, how do you see that falling in the first round? Because there's kind of four names there. 
Yeah, you know, I've had to circle the wagons on all those guys after the Senior Bowl because we don't, I don't pay a lot of attention to those guys through the fall just because we have so many seniors to look at. But yeah. um, because of the stuff I'm doing now with ESPN, I've had to do that since our game. And, and they're, they're, they're all different. Um, they probably are the top four. I think Josh Jones from Houston is the one senior that could maybe get up into that group, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that first-round range. But they're all different. So Becton's got the most upside. If I were picking, um, I would take Becton from Louisville if yeah. he was on the board. Yes, because um, yes. I'm telling like, you, I'm sitting there watching, and I'm like, you know, I, I've thought about going back and playing before, and I'm like, some days you're just you're a little sore, your back's a little tight. And my back was a little tight watching the combine, and I'm watching this kid run around. And I'm like, there's no fucking way I want to set the edge on this kid. And I know every no. defensive end is watching yeah. – where this kid goes to be like, not my division, please. Not my division. No. And, and dude, he's, he's a bully too. Yeah. You know, like the, the third, the third, the first game, you know, sometimes in scouting, you know, it's depending on like the, the series of the sequence of the tape you put in. And the first tape I put on was Clemson and about the third play of the game, he just swats, you know, swats a guy to the ground and, and, you know, just takes a shot at him. I mean, he's, he's got that bully mentality. Mm-hmm. He's just a huge dancing bear. Like, like you said about Worfs. He's just a massive human being at 350 plus pounds, running what he ran five one, um, but he's got the, he's got the mean streak, he's got the attitude, um, you know he's a little technique wise, he definitely needs to be cleaned up and tightened yeah. up a little bit, but the upside is huge. Tristan Wirfs um, from Iowa, a, he, all the testing stuff, 36 vertical, 10 one broad, you know all time tester at the offensive line position, four eight forty, so he's got all those tools where he's a little different. I think people want to pigeonhole him as the typical Iowa NFL ready-made Kirk Ferentz groomed offensive lineman. And to me, he's not that. Yeah. I think he's a little ways off. Yeah. So, um, you know, you know, just, he doesn't fit blocks real well. He doesn't sustain real well consistently. Um, but he's got all the stuff. He's got all the stuff to play left tackle. Um, and those guys go. So, that, you know, so there's him, you know, Andrew Thomas, um, is a guy that is really good in the run game, you know, not quite there in pass pro yet where you stay in the boat with Andrew Thomas. Again, he's another big, long bodied guy. He's a, he's a big man. All the, you know, all these guys are big men, but uh, the people at Georgia that I know really well, they love this kid. So, yeah. you know, offensive line, as you know, it's such an intangible position. You know, you can sacrifice, you can sacrifice athlete on the offensive line, probably more than any position if the guy's tough and competitive and, and, you know, gets after you and smart, you know, and versatile, all that stuff. And that's what Andrew Thomas is. So they love the guy. It keeps you in the boat with him. You don't turn on the tape and see a top 10 left tackle. Like he, you know, you don't see one of the, you don't see Debrickishoff Ferguson, you know, a guy no, you played with, good, but, yeah, it's a good one but, there. You, but, 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 but the more you hear about the makeup of Andrew Thomas, you, you feel really good about it. Um, and who was the fourth one? We the kid from Bama. Him. The kid from Bama who I yeah. wills. Yeah, I got to be honest. I, I saw him in the combine. And at, when you watch a Bama game in the fall, if you're not thinking from a scouting per- perspective, you're enamored with the team. And I'm not looking at, you know, you know I, the, the guy at D-end who's kind of, who had a really good start at Bama, kind of fell off a little bit the past couple of years of coming out this year. He's jumped off the tape to me. But when, I, when it comes to offensive linemen, I've kind of conditioned myself to think, okay, bam, offensive linemen, proceed with caution. But this kid, I saw him at the combine, and everybody loved him. I was a little bit concerned at how top-heavy he looks. He's, like kinda, he's cut kind of thin below the waist. Um, what do you think about him? 
That's so funny you made that comment. That's what, uh, one of our scouts at the Senior Bowl was working for one of the teams during the combine week, and he was at weigh-ins, and I wasn't at weigh-ins that day. And, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't see Jedrick. Uh, we didn't see Will, you know, during the season because he wasn't a senior bowl guy. Yep. And that was his first comment was that he thought he had thin legs. But Yeah. You guys saw it the same. But in terms of, like, being ready to play and being technically sound and just kind of having a nice feel and patience and kind of – he kind of play, plays more like a vet than the other three guys. Mm-hmm. He, he just, you watch him, it, it seems like he's played a lot of football. He's one of those guys. So yeah. Of the four, if you got to line up this year with a guy, I think that Will's will you'll you'll probably get your best football out of Will. He's like your Patriots pick, you know. Well, I don't yeah. know if that's a Patriots pick anymore because it might be a little bit different there without Tom with the news that broke uh, earlier. But he's a pick for an established group that that's a player away that might be he might move up and down the line a little bit. It looks like from his body type, he could play a couple positions. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, similar to like Isaiah Wynn, who they took in the first round exactly. a couple years ago. Could play guard, could play tackle. Yeah, it's a similar, similar dude. Uh, so moving on to quarterbacks, real quick. Uh, you know, you you actually made a comment earlier. Obviously, the the Tom Brady bomb dropped this morning on St. Patty's Day of all days <laughs> to just rip the Boston <laughs> faithful hearts out. Um, my family in Charlestown is just freaking out, probably. Uh, but. You like Stidham. You 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 mentioned lighting, liking Stidham. Yeah, I do like Jared a lot. He's, uh, you know, again, we talked about the sequencing of what tape you watch as a scout. My first exposure to Jared um, was the junior, his, his junior uh, spring. So we left Alabama's pro day in the afternoon. Gus Malzahn let us go to practice later that night at Auburn. And there is this kid out there that I'd never seen before. And he was just throwing dimes to every level of the field. Ball came off his hands so easy through such a pretty ball. And I, I pulled aside one of my buddies on their staff, and I'm like, you know, who's this kid? They're like, oh, that's the Baylor transfer. And I go, is this him every day? Or is it, or is what am I seeing? Is this like, you know, is this an, an anomaly? And they're like, no, this is him every day. And I was like, man, you guys are going to be good with this kid. So, um, you know, what I – I, I said last year, like Jarrett looks like he came out of the womb throwing a football. Like right. he just, he's so natural. Um, I don't think he was a great fit in the system there at Auburn. He still won big games. He beat Georgia. He beat Alabama. I mean, this guy won big games. I think that uh, it just wasn't a great fit for his skill set running that, that spread system at Auburn. And then you saw, and I'm not, I mean, I, I think they do a great job up there. I think, you know, coach Malzahn, those guys, they, they always have the, the covered stock with great players and, and they do a good job. But when you saw last year, they struggled a little bit through the season. And then when you saw Gus take over the play calling duties in the bowl game against Purdue and they scored 56 points in the first half, which was an all time bowl record. Um, I mean, Jarrett showed what he can be when you, when you, you know, play to his strengths, he can really throw it, man. And, and people say, well, that's Purdue. And I, my comeback to that is, yeah, that's the same Purdue team that made Dwayne Haskins look like an undrafted free agent. Mm. You know, I mean, they, mm-hmm. Purdue put it on Ohio State. So yeah, I remember the, that game. Oh, was, yeah, don't give me the, oh, it was Purdue thing. So, no, I think, Jared, again, does it all come together? I don't know. But does he have incredible arm talent? Yes, he does. Is he mature? Yes, he's very mature. Um, he's been through adversity in his life. or He's been through some hardships. He's a mentally tough dude. Um, you know, he's really smart talking to buddies on the staff there. 
They said he came a, a long, long way this year in terms of understanding their offense and what they want to do. So, you know, just comparing him to guys that have come out that I've done that have, I mean, he's better than a lot of guys that have been drafted in the first round over the years. Really? You know, I mean, there, so he has that kind of talent. Now, does it all materialize and does he, you know, become that great pro that, that remains to be seen, but there's, you know, there's going to be guys, if you put him out in this year's draft, um, you know, just from a talent standpoint, he's in that mix with all these guys we're talking about yeah. in the first round. When you just talk about pure physical talent, maturity i mean he has all that stuff so we'll just have to see i i do think they'll bring in a vet i think the smart move would maybe to bring in an andy dalton or someone like that right um you know to compete i don't think i think that they'll want to do something like that i don't think they're just going to hand Jarrett the job no but that would I be a nice this- car to hand the keys off to to a young kid yeah i mean that would be a little yeah. be like a ferrari first car yeah you know it might mean my thing is with, with Jared is I, I just wanted the, the, the Pats fans to know, like, this kid got taken in the fourth round. He's not a fourth-round player. He's right. Not a it's easy to just player. pigeonhole. Yeah. Yeah, he's a day-three pick. He's not worth anything. No, he's he's actually way better than where he got you, picked. You, ta- you talked about uh, the, the first-rounders this year with a Jordan Love, okay? He's the big wild card. How do you evaluate a guy who had a really high high like that in college? Yeah, you, you got to go back over the last couple of years and really study it, Chris. Um, I met Jordan this, this past summer at the Manning camp, and, and you see it on tape, and then you see him throw live. I mean, very similar. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm following up what I said with Stidham. These two guys, Love and Stidham, throw it as naturally as, as any guys I've done in the last 15, you know, 10, 15 years. Wow. I mean, they're both Jordan, Jordan throws it so naturally. Um, he, can do, he can make any throw. You watch his sophomore tape. He was really good. You watch this year's tape. Obviously, the numbers are what they are. You know, people really want to pick out the 17 interceptions, you know, 21 touchdowns, 17 picks. But, you know, he lost nine starters on offense. They had a, they had a tight end who played for the Bears this year. They had a running back who played for the Chiefs this year. So he didn't have any NFL guys around him. And, and I hate talking like this because you're, you're, you're kind of bagging on college kids, and I, I hate doing that. But you know, protection was a huge issue for him. And I did, I made a point on Twitter a few weeks ago. He, and I was trying to rack my brain. Matt Ryan might be the other one, but th- you know, this Jordan Love, he's the only guy I can remember doing that's going to throw into bigger windows in the NFL than he threw into in college. Ha, I mean, that's he's, funny. You can, <laughs> the Matt, you and that's true just, about Matt, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Matt threw a bunch of picks his senior year as well. So, yeah. you know, and, and again, I look at it, you know, a lot of people say it's decision-making. Chris, I don't see it that way. I see it as a guy that's competitive. He's trying to win games. And yeah. he, they fall, they fell behind in a lot of games. And I love the fact that he's not afraid to, to push the ball. And a lot of guys don't have the guts to do that, no, more, no matter what the scoreboard says. So, you know, a guy like Alex Smith got picked apart his whole career for being a check-down guy. Well, yeah, you can't pick and choose. Yeah. For, yeah, it's, it's like the, it's like a completion shot, so. center, uh, a completion percentage. Now, you know, okay, you could complete seventy-two percent of your passes, but if you do, is that a good thing in, in the pros? Because you have to push the ball a little bit. Hey, Philip Rivers sounds like a, a similar psychological profile, and Philip Rivers is about to get paid uh, to the tune of about thirty million uh, around his fortieth birthday. So, uh, you know that 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 mindset serves people well to an extent. Uh, I want to, before I let you go, are you good for another minute or two to talk about the senior bowl specifically? Yeah, like, yeah, man. yeah I know I took you over. I'm enjoying talking. So, um, 
No, I'm good. To- so you you got here, you got to Mobile recently. I mean, this is what your third year coming up. This is yeah, I just got through our second game, yeah. So when you got there, I know you're like a tape junkie, but now you're kind of running the show. How do you squeeze that time? It's uh, you know, it's it's been a challenge, Chris. So we were living here. This is my wife's hometown, so we were in Mobile oh, cool. uh, for about twelve years, and I was, you know, doing the doing the scouting thing out of airplanes and you know mm-hmm. driving everywhere. So we were here, and that's why I jumped at the job. It just was it was a perfect opportunity to continue to do what I love, and that's evaluate football players. But um, you know, but but be home with my family, you know, and, and not miss everything. My son's a freshman in high school now. I'm playing a bunch of sports, and I was missing everything and. You know, I know your dad went through yeah. that too. I wanted to be home for, for be home for you and your brother. So uh, it was a great opportunity. But but yeah, you have to wear a lot of different hats, and that's been the biggest challenge, man. Is is when you're scouting, it's twenty four seven football. You know, you're on the road. You're you're watching tape by yourself. You're you're writing reports in a hotel room two hundred nights a year by yourself. And uh, so now to you know to to have to manage people and manage a budget and you know do a lot of do a lot of public speaking and a lot of media. I mean, these are just things that, uh, you know, unless you get in that GM chair in the NFL, you don't, you don't have to do any of that. No matter how, no matter how high you climb up the ladder, um, if you're not in that GM chair, you don't do, you really don't do any of those things. So um, it's been great exposure from that point. I've, I've definitely been drinking from the fire hose, you know, a few times over the last right. few years, but um, it's been really good training, man. It's, it's been, it's been a ton of fun. So like uh, you talked about the grueling schedule, not only, being 18, 18 years in the league and having to make a decision that, like, I mean, it's a great career decision for you, but also it's two birds. I mean, you get to spend time with your family as well more than you would if you were uh, working for a team, I presume. And then, um, you know, I, I have a buddy in scouting, and I had this conversation with him a couple of years ago. He was describing how grueling it is. Um, and I was just saying to him, I was like, well, what do you want to be when you, like, what's the goal here? And everybody's goal is to be, his goal is to be a GM. I said, what if at one point you don't ever become a GM? Does that like, is that a fear that you spend all this time or do people in scouting, are they addicted to that grind? Like, is there just, it's just in their DNA, even if there's no necessarily a, a an, an end of the road, a goal. I mean, you're okay with spending that much time. What does it take to be a scout? Cause it's like a psychological thing to be able to, to, to leave home that much and grind that hard. Yeah, man, this is this could be like a two-hour answer right here, but it's it's uh, you do love it. People ask you, you know, when you're in it, you, you love what you do, and you, you you gotta love what you do, man. It is. It's uh, you know, there's a lot of really difficult op- occupations out there, so I'm not trying to make it out to seem like we're, you know, curing cancer or doing anything, you know, you know, exceptional on the road, but. You know, and there's traveling salesmen and, and truckers. I, I get it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but, no, but as far as I mean, you know, some people think this might be glamorous because you're working in pro football or you're working at the Senior Bowl, uh, and and I'm sure it's hard. Not everybody becomes a GM. I mean, like my buddy's young. I talked to my my boy, and he's like, I don't know what would happen. I don't know if it's worth it for me. You know, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, it, it is hard, man. You're on the road like 200 nights a year. Like I said, it's a lonely profession. You're by yourself a ton. Um, you don't, yeah, you're working in pro football, but you might catch your team on the road, um, you know, once or twice a year, if they come into an area that you're scouting. So you're not around the team a whole lot, um, depending on who you're working for, depending on who your GM is, 
um, that that kind of determines how connected you feel to the organization. I've worked for some teams where, you know, I felt like I was a bit of an independent contractor, and then I've I've worked for teams, you know, that I felt really a part of it. And I think that's why, you know, you get done playing at whatever level, and you you know you want to you want to stay in football in some way, shape, or form because you know you love the brotherhood part of it and, and the camaraderie. So I think that's why you know most of us do it. Um, you know, to feel like we're doing something bigger than ourselves and we're, we're trying to still compete and, and all that. But yeah, if you fall short of the GM chair, again, it's, it's not a total meritocracy in the NFL either. No, you know, there's a lot of guys, <laughs> a lot of, a lot, a lot of my friends are, are damn good scouts, you know, that are still area scouts after 15 years, you right. know, and they just haven't, you know, they haven't gotten that break yet. You know, again, a lot of it happens, you know, comes down to what teams you were with, you know, are you winning games or not? Right. And uh, everyone thinks if you're winning games, you have all the answers. So that's usually where the, you know, people are picked from. So, yeah, that's, you know, and again, the other thing, too, is, you, you know, this is what I always dreamed about doing from the time I was a little kid. My my dad was a high school coach, so I, I'd never got bit by the coaching bug. I just watched the draft as a kid and this whole thing, fantasy, you know, you know, just, you know, building teams and be, you know, part of the team building process was always, you know, where I got, you know, uh, enamored with it. But when you do that, when you're a little kid and then you go up through college and you're, you know, 18, 22, you don't think of it, be, you don't think of this job through the eyes of a, you know, 40 something year old guy with a wife and two kids. You know? No, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't think about podcasting until I didn't think about how yeah. hard, I mean, like having a family changes everything. I mean, it makes even easy stuff seem like, hey, you have to make some sacrifices. I can only imagine your deal is all day, all year. Yeah. So, I mean, and you know, man, like any job in football, it's not just, it's not coaching. It's not scouting. I mean, most jobs on the football side of things, the, if, if we're all looking in the mirror and being honest with ourselves, they're, they're single men's jobs, you know, right. I mean, even players. I mean, that's, you know, what yeah. you guys do as players and in, in, in what, in the stress that puts on a family and puts on a wife. I mean, that's, that's tough. It's tough stuff. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't get, it doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, there's a lot that happens when you're, when you're away from your, your, your wife for 200 nights a year, when you're going through the grind of a season and you're physically beat up and, you know, you're mentally beat up. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a grueling, it's a grueling sport period. Um, but again, there's, there's always that pull. We all, we all love it. So that's why we all, you know, try to figure out a way to stay in it. By the way, Philip Rivers, so we can date this interview that comes out in the day, just agreed to terms with, uh, with Indy. And I think that's a terrific thing for them. I really do, because if you get to Philip Rivers from two years ago, you might be talking about uh, a Super Bowl run. Yeah, no, I think that's a great move, and I think the uh, the writing was on the wall there. I think we saw the foreshadowing when they traded for uh, Buckner from yeah. the 49ers oh, the other I day. Love because <laughs> oh to, my God, dude! Yeah, to me, yeah, talk about a long twitchy guy. Oh fuck, um, dude, like he's we good. Talking, like we were talking about earlier. But but to me, they they would have been in the running right there. That, that to me, that was where Jordan Love. He Jordan Love was wasn't going to get past thirteen in Indy, um, had they not. Well, yeah. Once they traded, Rivers, yeah. So. Once once they traded their 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 pick, uh, you know, you're you're thinking you're so well. In the absence of that, then you know what they're doing. Um, when you have um, when you 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 talked about the the grind and all that stuff. Give me one piece of advice you would give to a younger scout. That that might, might want to be the you know the executive director of the Senior Bowl one day might want to be a GM might want to have a twenty year career with you Super Bowl rings, uh, give me some advice like if I'm young and I'm getting into scouting what are you going to tell me? Well, there's a <laughs> there's a lot. Um, I guess one piece is you know do your own work 
have your own opinions and, you know, don't be afraid to like players. You know, I think that there's, you know, there's, there's certain, you know, don't be afraid to pound a table for the guy. Like that's what you're out there doing it for. I mean, you're, you're away from your family and you're sacrificing, you're doing all that stuff. So when it can't, when it comes down to draft meetings and, and your, your general manager really wants, you know, some conviction and some strong opinions in the room, you know, put in the work. So you're ready to, you know, so you're ready to go to bat for guys. I, the best advice I was ever given was just do your own work. Don't let, there's so much noise out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't really have that when I started out in scouting, there wasn't Twitter and there wasn't, you well, it's know, like the, the media as much. It's like the media yeah, guys are, a, you're afraid to fire off a take because you, you got to read the room first and I'm sure it's tough, you know, in, in, in a, in a draft room or a war room or whatever y'all call it. When you're like, fuck, if I, if I stand on the table for this guy, is there people going to make fun of me? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's some of that, but you, you do, you just got to block the noise out. And I do, I tell the, like the young guys in our office, we have, you know, three young guys. We had two last year, one's with the Raiders. Now one's with the Falcons. We're trying to make this kind of a, you know, a stepping stone to get NFL jobs here in mobile. Um, And I told the three guys, I said, you block out the noise, um, do whatever you can, you know, get your eyes on the player first. And once you, once you feel convicted and know, you know what you see. Well, then it's okay to maybe pay attention to some of the peripheral stuff, but, but, you know, get that, get that down on paper and, and have your own opinion and be strong in it. Um, and the general managers, if, if they know you're putting in the work, they're going to respect that. They don't, nobody wants a wishy-washy scout. No one wants a guy that just grades everyone in the third or fourth round. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. so yeah. I guess the big, the, the biggest thing, if you're just sticking with football, there's tons of life, tons of life lessons I've learned the hard way. Uh, that I would give, but when it comes to football, just just do your own work and and don't afraid to be wrong. Don't that, be afraid to be wrong. That sounds like great, great, uh, great intel there. So as far as the Senior Bowl is concerned, since you've been executive director, you guys have seemed to get and and interestingly, I, I saw you talk about you brought on scouts, like your own kind of NFL scouts. Like I don't know how many do you have, and and was that a void that was there before you came? Like you've got your own little full staff that's kind of traveling and doing their thing and, and prepping for the senior bowl. Yeah, Chris, man, they did. Glad you brought those guys up. They did an awesome job. So the, my first year we had four, four guys this year, we had six. Um, and the goal was to, you know, try to do this as close to what an NFL team is doing it the same way. You know, we're not, we don't have the same financial resources. So, you know, we can't have guys out every night of the year in hotels and all that. But, right. you know, everyone that everyone that works for us has NFL backgrounds. They've all worked for teams before. You know, I thought it would be a really nice thing for guys that got let go from a team in the, you know, the previous spring. This would be a nice kind of soft landing spot for them because as long as you work in football at some point, man, you're going to get caught in the crosshairs. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a coach, players, like, you're going to get fired at some point. It doesn't mean you're not good at what you do. It's just like, you know, they bring in a new GM or coach and you're just not one of his guys and you get let go. So, um, yeah, so we've staffed it with some guys that I have a lot of familiarity with, you know, over my years in the league and, and they've done an awesome job. We're at games every weekend in the fall. Um, you know, they pump pregame video to me. We've been posting that on my Twitter, you know, for the last two years in the fall. And that's really served as a cool recruiting tool for us. Um, it helps us connect with the players more so than we ever have been able to do before. And then, you know, we, we can download all the same tapes that the teams do from the, from the dub center. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes it easy. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting tape on a weekly basis and everyone's just sitting at home watching, watching tape and, and filing reports into the, into the, into the office. And then when we get draftable grades back, that's who I look at. You know, I cross check any draftable grade that could get a guy into the senior bowl and, 
um, again, that's, that's just how we've done it. It wasn't done like that in the past. We're just trying to, I'm trying to, you know, make this thing as close to a NFL, uh, setup as I can. And then really the second part quickly, Chris is, you know, we invite about usually the first 80, 85 guys are pretty easy. Um, and then around Thanksgiving, it, the week of Thanksgiving, the last two years, I reached out to, uh, you know, all the general managers in the league. We've, we've been roughly 16, 17 teams the last two years. And we'll sit there for an hour, hour and a half and just go through the board position by position. And uh, like if there's four offensive line spots open, I'll say, okay, here are the, here are the eight names that we kind of like right there at the cut line. Is there any four of those that stand out to you that you'd want to see in Mobile? Is there someone from outside of that group that maybe we're not on, a small school guy maybe? And we just have those discussions and we, we take detailed notes and they kind of, we really lean on the league. Um, to help us shape that back end of the roster, because again, this this game's for them. It's not right. for us. We're we're just trying to bring the best players down here for these guys to evaluate. And you probably know in dealing with the league because there is a lot of conversation leading up. You know, they tell you the players they want to see. Depending on how vehemently a team is is campaigning for a player to be in Mobile, could you sometimes tell before they're going to pick them that they're going to pick them late, or you know, they might reach up and snag a guy who who was uh who was off the radar like a particular team yeah yeah we did we kept our notes from last year so really only have the one year of track record on that but yeah there were a couple guys that got drafted on day three last year that going back to those notes from november from those phone calls that hmm. they had pretty strong interest all the way through yeah so you could kind of we, tell we could, we could yeah, we could have called a couple of those for sure. So how have you been able to get the top guys? Because from what it sounds like, and certainly I didn't I didn't go to the Senior Bowl because this is kind of a two-part question, okay? So like when I – in 2000 uh, – what was it, eight, when I got drafted, I was a top five pick. So I'm thinking to myself, like, I only have a chance to get injured. My stock's definitely not going to rise because I thought I was lucky to be in the top five anyways. Going back, I would have picked me at like <laughs> – fifth. I would have picked me at like 15, which ain't nothing wrong with that. But – like, so we're looking at, you know, these these top tier players that you'd like to get to the senior bowl. You've been able to land more top tier guys than 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 the senior bowl has been able to in the past. It seems like you've been able to land some guys as of late. The senior bowls uh, is getting more of what they want in that right. So, A, how are you doing that? And then, B, are there any players that you just feel like they don't have anything to gain in Mobile and maybe they are? right to sit it out or could you make an argument and sell the senior bowl to anybody well we we tried this year with joe burrow but um, yeah no so yeah i i appreciate you saying that chris yeah we had 10 first round picks last year which it's was our, our biggest number in a long time um you know the quarterback thing we've had five top 10 guys in the last four years i think that uh with herbert and love they've got a chance um, this year to to also get in that top 10 range but you know I think the social media part has been huge Chris um, as you know guys people live on their phones not just you know teenagers we do too so yeah unfortunately um, maybe more than the teenagers know, yeah seriously um, that's that's probably the downside of my job is all the Twitter <laughs> time but but no it's been it's been really important to connect with these guys because you know, it kind of, it, it's gotten them excited about it. You know, we start, we've already started to post about next year's class now, Yeah. you know, like these guys, any, anytime these guys right now are, you know, are announcing they're coming back to school for next year, you know, I'll tweet something at them, you know, to let them know that we're looking at them. So, you know, just to build the game up a little bit. And I think that, uh, I think where the game was for a, for a little period there was 
Um, it's like the kid that's coming out of high, out of high school as a five-star kid that comes in saying at his press conference, you know, where he announces what school that I'm going to be three and done. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, then he gets to the end of his junior year and if he doesn't come out, you know, even though his head coach might be telling him, listen, all my friends in the league think you're a, a fifth round pick. Now, if he doesn't come out, he's already said he's going to be three and done. He's almost announced, you know, he's almost ex- he's almost like, you know, saying he's a failure if he doesn't do it, you know, or he's going back on his word. So they come out anyway, they don't get drafted where they should. I think it got to, it was maybe to the point a little bit where if you came to a a senior bowl, then you were almost saying you weren't going to be a first or second round pick. Like, like you needed the game, you know, like if you went to the game, you need, you really needed the game. Um, And, and, you know, my point to that would be, like last year with the 10 first round picks, I really felt like coming into the week, there was maybe three or three or four of those guys were going to be first round picks. I, I truly felt like six or seven of them played their way in in Mobile. Right. Um, and to me, those guys have more to gain at the top of the draft than, than these guys that, you know, like we had a kid, Ben Barch this year, this offensive lineman from St. John's in Minnesota, Division three school, Division three player. I mean, he's playing against, defensive ends that are probably six one, you know, 220 pounds. So mm-hmm. he, you know, there's no way for a scout to put anything more than like a sixth or seventh round grade on that guy. It's just impossible. Yep. You know, you're putting your nuts out there just even doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so for him to come down here and, and block Javon Kinlaw and Marlon Davidson from Auburn for a couple of days, you know, now he's now hearing from scouts, he's probably going in the third round. That's wild so that's too. A big, yeah, that's wild. That's a, that's a big jump. That's mm-hmm. a massive jump. But if you're like, say you're Javon Kinlaw and you came down here is someone who was projected to go in the teens, say he was going to go 16 and now he goes seven. There's a lot more money in those nine spots. He moved up. You're, than yeah. Even you're even making more money than your small school kid. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're I mean, you're making, I mean, if Justin Herbert came down here is maybe, you know, the 10th or 11th pick and now he's going to go three, four, five. I mean, that's, that's 12, 14 million dollars. So to me, those guys have almost they have more to gain by coming to the senior bowl. And that's we're and that's the message we're trying to get out there, you know. And then like where you're like, okay, so here's a great example. And I've told agents this since since I took the job is that if you have a guy that's the clear cut number one guy at his position, I kind of get it, right? Like mm-hmm. if he doesn't have anywhere to move up, like uh Derek Brown, for example, like Derek was was one guy that, that, that declined his invite this year. He called me after the iron bowl and said, he, you know, he was trying to decide between playing in the, in his team's bowl game or our game. And I tried to get him to do both, but, right. but he really is like go, going into the process. He's the clear cut interior defensive lineman. And I think that what Ken law did down here, um, he's probably tightened the gap a little bit, yeah, he's but, pushing uh, it. Yeah, he's but that's a hard, that's a harder sell. You know, I didn't push Derek hard on it at all. I was yeah. like, you know what, Derek, good luck, man. He's a great kid. He's a great player. And then with Joe Burrow, my point with Joe was there, you know, that was a really weird circumstance because they played that national championship game on Monday. Um, his teammates and the Clemson guys came on Sunday, like five days later, yeah, they're in crazy. Mobile. So crazy. Um, that was a crazy turnaround. And, do you, take that, do you take was, that into you, account? Sorry, do you take that into account real quick? Sorry to cut you off. Do you take that that physical fatigue into account in evaluating you know, this was the guys? First year we had, yeah, Chris, this was the first year we had that um, where, where we butted up right on the national championship game. We've always had a two-week window. So that was that was new for us. But what it did for me was, yeah, I mean, we – 
I get it. I totally understand. They just played a, a, a violent game on Monday. I totally get that It was very part violent. Was, it was awesome. It was a great game. <laughs> but to me, and I've talked to guys in the league about this, so we had, you know, four LSU players come play in the game, and we had three Clemson guys come play in the game. And to me, and, and four of them were offensive linemen. So those mm-hmm. guys were, you know, beat up. To me, that's a huge feather in those guys cap you know and the, and the league all realizes that like I've talked to them about those four linemen in particular and the league are like yeah man we we trust me we took right. note of that that, right. that they turned that they turned around and came right to mobile like we we get it so that they helped themselves by doing that um and and you know with with Burrow it was more you know just come hang out with the Bengals for a week yeah I thought that, that there might be some value there just to even if he didn't do anything even if it just it was just being in meetings and hanging out behind the scenes with their staff you know, he would get feel for them and they'd get a feel for him and it might be mutually beneficial. Um, but with the way, the way Joe played this year and had himself positioned as the number one overall Doesn't pick, matter, like, yeah. um, I, I totally, I totally got it. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I saw him, I saw him at the combine. He's a great guy. And he, he called me after their white house visit and we talked for about 30 minutes and he was great about it. And, um, he, even he said, he's like, Jim, I didn't see this year coming. You know, he's like, when we, I met him at the Manning camp last summer, and he's just like, you know, if you would have told me back in June that I was declining the senior bowl, I would have told you you're crazy. Like, I yeah, well, he didn't know who he was going to be, so. you know, in a year's time. <laughs> right. You had That's a right. you had a memory you wanted you had memories you wanted to share from the old Virginia days before I let you go. Yeah. So so just for the listeners, yeah, yeah and I'm not I'm not saying this to stroke you on your own podcast, but <laughs> well, shit, you that's why I had you on. Man. I talked to you for 45 <laughs> minutes, so yeah, at the end I could get some some love. No, uh, people. Uh, you know, people always ask me, like, who was the best player you ever scouted and everything. And I always tell players from a scout perspective, the biggest compliment I can give a player is that if I tell you you're fun to watch. Yeah. And, like, to me, the, the guys that are the most fun to watch over my time in scouting, you stick out. Troy Palomalu sticks out. I mean, there's there's a small handful of guys right. just because of your play style and and everything so so no you were you were an awesome you were a fun guy to watch on tape and, and but you uh, remember clint you know, too we were, clint sinham you know he just got hired by virginia we had uh a couple pros back in the day at uva when al grow was there and bronco's doing a really good job now but al built things to be pro ready and and i i know you came to charlottesville probably once or twice yeah yeah you came to charlottesville yeah man, i, I yeah, because Luke, the video guy yeah, there, Luke, yeah, uh, yeah. Virginia, Luke Goldstein was the best. He Shout let us come Luke. and hang out. And Coach yeah. Rowe rolled off the red carpet. And you guys were great because that was back in my Patriot days when we were running like a straight two-gap, you know, three-four two-gap yeah. team. And yeah. with, <laughs> with you and you and Clint Sinem were uh, had to have been the best pair of edge set in college outside linebackers I've ever seen. Well, we uh, we didn't like the it, two-gap and stuff as much as y'all did. <laughs> But it was all good, man. Clint just got hired at Virginia. But I guess that that, that my question would be, Al Groh kind of had an open-door policy. He was very NFL-friendly. Has that been more adopted by college coaches now? 10 years later, 11, it, 12 years it, later? Yeah, I, I think it has. There were a lot of restrictions back in the day. You had, like, you know, Joe Pa didn't didn't really care for us at Penn State. And, and uh, uh, gosh, there were, there was, you know, Virginia Tech was didn't like us coming. There was, well, there was a bunch those of guys schools, just but... never, they never panned out. Those Tech guys, that's why. I'm just fucking around. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, Coach, I'm getting my Coach shot in Coach while Coach we've Coach actually beat them this last year or so. <laughs> 
But but no, I think you know Coach Saban in Tuscaloosa since he's been at Alabama, he's been wide open 365, and he's winning a bunch of national titles. So I think that a lot of schools have followed suit. And uh, yeah, and Coach Grow was great. And back to Clint Sinem, one story I remember you. So it was it must have been your bye week of your rookie year. I was back uh, scouting Clint. And you came back. Did you – again, it's a long time ago. Didn't you raise the flag at the I game that day? I had to raise day? the flag, you, yeah, which I'm not usually into that and, stuff. <laughs> and you were – but you were wearing Clint's 51 jersey. Yeah, which yeah. From like, I thought that was like the ultimate badass teammate move. To That's like my guy. guy's jersey on. That's my yeah, guy. I yeah, I thought that – it was a little tight. I always remember it was a little that. tight. That was, it's it's was, hard when everybody's <laughs> looking at you and you got the game jersey. They didn't even have like an appearance jersey because they don't have those in college. That tight ass game jersey. Real quick, Jim, before I let you go, lightning round here. Quick answers only, okay? Give me three yep. of your favorite road cities, obscure road cities as you're out scouting these players. Oh, Charlottesville's one of them. Not go. just saying that. Um Love the campus in Palo Alto. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. The college towns, Madison, Wisconsin's a great college town. I'm, I'm biased. I love Ann Arbor. Uh, Austin, Texas is a great so place. So you're hitting all the big ones. Give, give me like, give me one that like there's tumbleweeds coming through. I, I know you're not going to say Lubbock or anything like that. Give me one that's going to surprise people. Kind of off, the, but but a great college town. Yeah uh oxford ohio miami of ohio that's a great oh wow that's a great little camp okay good yeah. good okay so you scouted under bill belichick and pete carroll not bad um did either of those guys have a big pet peeve that you were like if this player does this or looks like this or weighs this much or walks this way we're not we're not scouting them yeah, in Seattle it was stubby corners. Yeah, you couldn't really. Have, you couldn't have you, they, those guys had to be long. If you were well, they if are, you were under yeah. six foot, yeah. If you were under six foot, you you didn't really have a chance. They've 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 lightened that the last couple of years, you know, with some nickels. But yeah, that was we were pretty uh, hard and fast on those long corners. And uh, and anything for Bill, other than probably being not tough, being dumb, being, being dumb. dumb, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't bring. Don't bring. Don't. Don't pound the table for a dumb guy. And you. You shouldn't because he won't get the scheme up there. Let me tell you. I was. I was getting checks (laughs) after the ball snapped. Like, you know, like I'm in my rush getting a check. Um. And then lastly, we'll start with worst misses, but worst misses and proudest hits for you professionally. Give me one or two that you might remember. You can finish with the proudest. Oh man. Oh man. Uh, Biggest misses. And these are really tough for me because I, I don't really consider them misses unless you pounded the table and your team drafted them. And right, they right, your team. right. But, yeah, uh, maybe some maybe somebody you were wrong about on another team. Yeah, no, trust me. There's, there, man, there's plenty. I'm not going to. I mean, even Mike Mayock, who I think the world of and I think is doing a great job, you know, he, he, he missed sometimes, but he had to do it for a living like in public. No, we, no, I should, I should go through all the binders and rip out all the, <laughs> yeah. all the misses. Plus, Trust me, there's there's plenty. There's yeah, plenty. I'm just, now I'm just try, now I'm just trying to think. Give me but, a pr- uh, give me a proud a proud hit then. Oh, uh, you know some of the proudest hits of scouts are the like the late round guys, you yeah. know, in the in the free agents, the guys that not everyone got to see. So, um, like I always I was um, like Julian Edelman. Um, yeah, Jules yeah. was the guy that I you know when Jules was a quarterback at Kent State or. 
uh, Mike Wright. I know Mike was before your time in New England, but he was a nose from Cincinnati. Got just it. a hard playing nose. And I think Mike got seven or eight years into New England, and we got him as an undrafted free agent. You know, just put, put, put in a ton of good work behind Vince Wilfork for, for a lot of years. Yeah. Um, so it's guys like that. Those yeah. are the guys that, as a scout, you take a lot of pride in that, you know, other, other guys might be going through the school and ignoring them. And uh, you end up with with them on your team, but but man, let me tell you, with the misses, I don't want to sound like I mean, I've got I've got plenty. No, of No, I know I it's hard can't. to be on the spot. You just can't remember <laughs> when you spend that many years on the road uh, and for that many days on the road. I'm sure it all kind of blends together. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for your time, man. And I think you're doing a great job with the Senior Bowl from the outside looking in. Um, as we talked about, it's really on the up and up, even even more so from where it was as a historic destination for college players so keep up the great work and i appreciate you please come back anytime yeah chris thanks for having me on man i, I love that you're lending uh former players voice to this whole you know pod world and twitter world it's it's awesome man i love i love your stuff that's and, my uh, life now man that's my life i'm a pod dad that's about <laughs> it bro. so i'll come see you down there at some point man we'll get a beer it's good talking to you that sounds awesome thanks chris. okay buddy